I have been thoroughly blessed this week. God has <clears throat> spoken to my heart many times. That last session, though, was a little bit discouraging. Basically, Brother Jim told us that we're a bunch of morons listening to a moron. <laughs> now, the problem is, for me anyway, I agree with you. <laughs> Each year, you learn something new, and you realize, you know what? Uh, Annie didn't know that. I, and um, you realize the place you were in a couple of years ago. Now, the problem is, I'm running out of time. <laughs> I don't have many decades left to stop being a moron, so uh, we should pray for me here. <laughs> really, though, uh, the conference has been a blessing. Yesterday was a watershed day for me. I asked the Lord to, to, uh, to open my eyes and to work on my heart, and he did. Didn't he help you? This is, this is a blessing. I really feel the material that we're covering uh, this week is the key material. Now, you always feel that when you uh, come to a con- conference and you're involved in a conference. But as I, as I look at my life and my ministry, I mean, <clears throat> 24 years now uh, back in Ireland, and we're excited about the work the Lord has done. He's doubled the church during that time and, and, and then some. And, and, and that's been exciting. But do you know that if God did in the rest of my lifetime time, ten times what he's done already, it would still only be a drop in the ocean. The need is so great. We need power much greater than anything we've seen. We can be excited, and we ought to be excited and grateful and thankful to God for what he's done. But you know, we really do need to learn and to access power to see works like we've never seen. It's there for us. We're told it's in the scriptures. We see it there in the scripture. We know it's there. But we need to access it. And this is the key. We need to access it in prayer. And I think the other area that we really need to lay hold on, we need to learn how to push the enemy back. He is, I fear, in many areas, taking ground rather than being pushed back. And that really is a grief. That should be a grief to us. And in our lives, we need to be in the place where we're seeing him push back, where we're seeing the enemy push back, where we see him uh, <clears throat> come to the place where he can no longer hold the ground. You might, you might pray for my son, Oriel. Uh, they are ministering in Arklow, in the town of Arklow, and I really believe God led them there. I believe God is doing a work there, and there are some exciting things happening in the work right now. But in their family, uh, they have had six viruses amongst their children since Christmas. Now, that's not normal. You know, we look at some of these things and, you know, that is not normal. That just doesn't happen. You can give all the, all, all the reasons. You know what the enemy is doing? The enemy uh, is trying to unsettle them and get them out of the work. And it occurred to me last night, we were praying with the parties for the, about the situation. It occurred to me last night, the last missionary that went, Brother Russell Martin, uh, that went to Arklow, was removed because of ill health. You know what? The enemy's clever, but he's not that clever. He tends to do the same things over and over again. And the thing about it is that we can, <clears throat> we need to pray against the enemy and see the enemy uh, moved out of the way. And really, the, the attack on their health is just an indication that there's something going on he's not happy with and he wants to stop it before it gets started. And so, in a sense, it's encouraging. <clears throat> Not very encouraging for them, but in a sense, it's encouraging uh, to know that. But, you know, <clears throat> I think probably in many of your ministries, there are things like that. And there are things happening in your ministries very often that you just attribute to circumstances or the way things are. And if you fail to identify the fact that the enemy uh, is in it, then you don't stand against him. And you're not going to see uh, the work that God wants to accomplish done. 
And I think we do. I think we are. We are a generation that do not believe in the supernatural. And even as much as we do, you know what? We we look at the enemy and we don't see him there. We don't see his power there. And I think we need to wise up. I think we need to stop being morons in this area. I think we need to come to the place where we see the battle and we engage in the battle. As I look at my life, I think, you know what? No battle is fun. This battle certainly is not going to be fun. But I would sooner fight the battle with my eyes open and deal with the enemy in that sense than than, than to be in the place where I'm getting beat up uh, and not seeing the enemy. So uh, I think this week is key to us. I think we need to take these messages home with us, and I think we need to apply them. And I think we need to expect victory because we serve the victor. All right, page 93 in your notes there. Dealing with the topic of praying in the will of God. First um, John five fourteen and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Father, would you bless your word to us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we want your will. Uh, Lord, we've heard this week there aren't three wills, there are just two. And Lord, we certainly don't want his will. Now, Lord, we ask you, Lord, would you open our eyes, would you help us? Uh, Lord, <clears throat> truly, we, we are children, and so often we don't see it. But, Lord, with your help, uh, we would see it. Lord, I believe the hearts of this people that are gathered here today is to know and to do your will. That's why we're here. Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat> Introduction, they're giving you a story about uh, Charles Finney, right? <clears throat> and I'm not going to read it all to you, but let me tell you the story. Finney, before he was saved, uh, he began to attend church and he began to read the scripture. And he read the scriptures methodically, scientifically, uh, with his logical uh, mind of an attorney. And as he read through the scriptures, this unsaved man came to the place where he saw and understood that if God's people prayed, they should be answered. Right? And then he went to church and he saw God's people praying and not being answered. And... Uh, he, he, he wasn't able to pretend it was happening. He could look at it and he could say it wasn't happening. So he came to some conclusions. And let me read you on, on page 94, uh, just about halfway down the page there, well, the, the second paragraph. This inconsistency, the fact that they prayed so much and were not answered, was a sad stumbling block to me. I knew not what to make of it. It was a question in my mind whether I was to understand that these persons were not truly Christians and therefore did not prevail with God, or did I misunderstand the promises and teaching of the Bible on this subject, or was I to conclude that the Bible was not true? There was something inexplicable to me, and it seemed at one time as though it would drive me into skepticism. It seemed to me that the teachings of the Bible did not at all accord with the facts which were before my eyes. Further down, he says, and I said, I suppose, they, they asked him, should they pray for him? And he said this to them. He said, he said, I suppose I need to be prayed for, for I am conscious that I am a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me. You are continually asking, but you do not receive. You have been praying for revival of religion ever since I have been in Adam's, and yet have it not. Now, what was happening for him? He was just practically looking at the externals of the whole thing. They were praying, and the things weren't, that they were praying about weren't happening. Right? Um, he says, though, over on the next page, but on further reading of the Bible, it struck me that the reason why their prayers were not answered was because they did not comply with the revealed conditions of which, upon which God had promised to answer prayer, that they did not pray in faith in the sense of expecting God to give them the things that they asked for. 
Now, let me, let me make a statement here, uh, and then we'll, we'll work our way through, the, through, through the, uh, our message, right? Prayer that is not answered is dangerous to faith. It is dangerous to faith. And I think all too often when we pray, we're really not sure we're going to be answered. We don't have faith, and the reason we don't have faith that God's going to answer is because we really don't know whether God's in it or not. And what we're doing, in, in a sense, is our prayer list is not really a prayer list. It can very often be a wish list. And we're hoping that God's going to step in and do something. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But oftentimes, we're not sure what he's doing at all. Now, let me illustrate that from my own experience. Um, We had a church building, and our church building would fit 60 people. Some of you were in it. The the downstairs room in our church building would fit fit 60 people, and that was with no aisle, with no room to move, with people sitting on the stairs and people sitting in the kitchen. Uh, You could fit 60 people. It was dreadfully uncomfortable, and if the fire authorities had ever come in, they would have closed us down instantly, right? And so we needed a new building, right? That, that was legitimate. That, that, was, that was real. We needed more space for our church to meet. So I began to look uh, for places for our church to meet. And we went through a series of different sites that we were interested in, that we made offers on, that we prayed about, that we were seeking the Lord for. <clears throat> and it was one after another, after another, after another. I could list all the sites for you. It would take us a while uh, to go through them all. Some of them... <clears throat> we became convinced we were going to get. Right? <clears throat> Some of them I particularly became convinced uh, we were going to get. And so what I'm doing is I'm leading my tr- church through this time where we're, where we're seeking to buy all these sites, and it's tremendously discouraging. Because one after another, they would fall through. Now it would take six months, maybe a year, to go from the beginning where we started looking at something to the place where we came to the end of it. And it was very obviously God was not in it and we were not going to get it. And so we continued to go on like that for, 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 for many years, looking at different sites and not getting them. Then one day, uh, now if you don't, you don't know our building, some of you don't know our building, uh, we have a, a, a duplex, both sides of a duplex. Right? At this stage, we only had one side of it. Right? Uh, one day, and there's a whole long story about this side of it too that we won't go into, but one day, uh, after the man who owned the house next door had died, he had gotten saved before he died, which was, which was a thrill to us. But after he, after he had died, several months after his death, I saw his son coming out of the house. I'm, walking, I'm coming into the other side of the church, uh, it's during the week, and I called Paul over and I said, Paul, uh, are you selling the building? And Paul said, yes, he was selling the building. And I said, how much do you want for it? And he said, 450000 And I said, we'll buy it. And I shook his hand, and a few months later, we took possession of, it, possession of it. Now, here's the point I'm making, right? We spent so much time moving around, looking at things, when really God knew exactly what he was going to do. Now, God, in his mercy, closed everything else down. By the way, I do think I had enough sense to know that if it wasn't of him, I wanted it closed down. But here's my thought. I spent a lot of time and I led a church through a lot of time of seeking something that was never going to happen. Some things that were never going to happen because they weren't the will of the Lord. Now, if I was completely honest with you, there were times when God indicated to me that that wasn't what he was doing. But you know the problem for me? The problem for me is my will by that time had gotten involved in it. And I thought it was a great idea. And I would have this niggling sense that God wasn't in this in the back of my head. But you know what? I would keep pushing ahead because I was involved in this. I was deeply involved in this and I wanted it to happen. Now listen, 
a good thing. It wasn't like I was looking for something for me. It was a good thing. We needed more space. We needed a building. And all the sites had, had their merits. But you know what? They weren't the will of the Lord. And I wasn't adept enough at discerning what the will of the Lord was to actually lead my church effectively in prayer. Now maybe you find yourself in the same place today. Maybe you find yourself that you're looking at things and you want things and you're praying for things as a church and you're not really sure. That's the will of the Lord. You need to be sure. Pastors, you need to be sure. People, you need to be sure. You see, we didn't know. What we were doing is we had our wish list for sites. And we could become committed. I had to go back to the church and say, listen, you know what? Those things that I thought were the Lord's will, they weren't the Lord's will. Now, clearly what he did for us, by the way, he's good, isn't he? Uh, He is so kind. We bought that building for 450,000, right? Uh, the, the, The month we took possession of it, Right? A building three doors down, exactly the same building, sold for $890,000. Right? You know, listen, God was saying, this is my will and I'm doing it and, and you've got it. It's just exactly what you need. And, you know, and we knew that. Uh, we, we, we have a bus that stops outside our door and the, and the bus stop is called the LifeGate bus stop. Right? Uh, 500, 500 homes have gone up around our building. You know what? God had a plan. Uh, he, he was working something. And, 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 and in his mercy, he stopped me from doing a whole lot of things that I wanted to do that really weren't his will. And he does that for you too, doesn't he? Uh, He hinders you from... But I think we can be more effective at discerning as well. I think we can be more effective. I think I could have spent the time uh, more effectively than than, than looking at sites and developing plans and all the rest of it. I think I could have spent that time more uh, effectively. We need to understand, we need to discern his will. Because what that that does to us and to our churches is it actually hinders the growth of faith. You're seeking to build faith in your people so they can seek the Lord in prayer. But what happens is when they're praying for things and they're not happening, you know what? Their faith is sinking. Okay, let me give you another uh, 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 an area where faith was built recently. Just at our conference in January, our awakening conference in January, Brother John was there. We we had a week of meetings. One of the young men from our men's home uh, he had been in the men's home for three months. He was off drugs and he was off smoking and everything else. He had a court case coming up from, for something dumb he had done uh, <clears throat> before he got saved in his life. And he had a court case coming up and it was pretty certain that he was going to be put away for two years. Right? Now, being put away for two years is bad. He probably deserved it. <clears throat> it is bad. But for somebody who's actually just gotten saved and who's coming out of addiction, that's a disaster. So you know what? The church took up the prayer. And the church began to cry out to God in prayer uh, for that young man. And on the Wednesday of that week, the Tuesday or the Wednesday of that week, <clears throat> he walked into the church. The, 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 the judge had released him to the men's home. And you know what? The faith of the church soared. God answers prayer. God hears and God answers prayer. Now, it's important to us that we discern the will of God and that when we pray... We're not just praying a wish list. That we're actually discerning what God is going to do. George Mueller would not begin to pray about something until he had discerned that it was the will of the Lord. He had a way he would go through and he would discern what the will of the Lord in the instant was. He would, he would, he would read the Bible through. On one occasion he read the Bible through three times looking for God to confirm to him. Uh, what his will in the situation was. But once he discerned the will of the Lord, he never quit praying until God gave him what he was asking for. 
He expected God to do it. We need to understand the will of the Lord. When it comes to the enemy and dealing with the enemy, we need to be seeing God's will accomplished in our lives and in our churches, and we need to discern it. We need to pray in the will of God. All right. Uh, There's a quote there from Tozer. Let me read it for you. Uh, First, it is essential that we be completely dedicated to God's high honor and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God will not lead us except for his own glory, and he cannot lead us if we resist his will. The shepherd cannot lead a stubborn sheep. The evil practice of using God must be abandoned. Now, what does he mean there? The evil practice of using God. You and I get an idea. We get a will in the situation. And we want to bring God into the situation and get him on board with us to accomplish our will. We're disastrous at doing that, aren't we? Uh, we, we can do that so often. We've got something we want and we, we want God. He says it's an evil practice. Uh, um, must be abandoned. We must submit ourselves joyously to God and let him work through us to achieve his own ends. Right? The condition of the promise in 1 John 5.14 uh, is asking according to his will. And I really believe that asking according to his will is more than just me coming out of my life that's lived for self and deciding I want to know God's will in this instance. I think, you know what? What we're looking at is we're looking at a life that's lived in his will. We're looking for a life that's lived in his will that knows, that comes to God, yeah, and and looks for the specifics in a certain area, but a life that's lived in his will. <clears throat> and you know, Brother Jim is right when he talks about us growing each year. And he told you, you know, you look back 10 years ago and you could say, oh my goodness, man, I was, I was a disaster back in the... Because that's true. But you know what I think? I think as the years go by, what God is doing is he's tearing away layers of self so that it's easier, if we're willing, to see his will. It's really helped. painful, but very helpful. Probably, we probably need him to do it quicker, don't we? Um, but but we, need to, we need to see his will. All right, then, prayer and the will of God. Um, number one there. A, living in the will of God. You and I need to live in the will of God. Jesus did. At any moment in the life of Jesus, if asked what he was doing, he could have honestly replied, my father's will. At any moment. There was never a moment when he would have had to hesitate and say, no, no, well, no. <clears throat> At any moment, he could have said, I'm doing my Father's will. John 4, 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John six thirty eight. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 5, verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Always he was doing the Father's will. He didn't do his own will. S.D. Gordon, and by the way, that book on prayer by S.D. Gordon is a wonderful book. Well worth the time it would take you to read it, right? Uh, Read and savor that book, right? Uh, He says this. He says, think for a moment into Jesus' human life down here. Uh, His marvelous activities for those few years over which the world has never ceased to wonder. Then his underneath, hidden away prayer life of which only occasional glimpses are gotten. Then grouping around about that sentence of his, I do always the things that are pleasing to him. In John's gospel, pick out the emphatic negatives on Jesus' lips. The nots, not my will, not my works, not my words. 
Jesus came to do somebody else's will. The controlling purpose of his life was to please his father. The controlling purpose of his life was to please his father. This was the secret of the power of his earthly career. Right relationship to God, a secret intimate prayer life, marvelous power over men and with men. Those are the strands in the threefold cord of his life. Now, number two there, our lives are to be about doing his will. First uh, John 2, verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Mark three thirty five. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. John seven seventeen. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And by the there's a, there's a powerful truth in there. If you will do his will, then you will know truth. And if you won't do his will, you won't know truth. You need to be in the place where you're doing his will. Romans 12, uh, that we may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. You find the will of God, you do the will of God, you live the will of God, and you're going to say, this is the life. That's always the way. You're going to say this. And the areas that you have trouble with are the areas where you're not living the will of God. They are the areas that are a burden, uh, the areas that tear at you, right? Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Colossians 4.12, uh, the end of it there, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Uh, Hebrews 10.36, For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, uh, you might receive the promise. First Peter 4, verse 1 and 2, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, right, the same mind that suffered in the flesh. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. What are you living for today? Are you living for your own will? Or are you living for his will? If you were asked the question, could you honestly say, as Jesus could have, I'm doing my Father's will? Could you say about your life, uh, could it truly be said of you that the controlling purpose of your life is to please your Father? This is, there are more verses than that. Like you, you, you can maybe quote some of them. There are more verses than that. That is supposed to be uh, the controlling purpose of my life. Pleasing my Father. That's what I'm supposed to live for. You know, if I want to know his will in prayer, if I want to be somebody that he can use to accomplish his will on earth, you know what? I need to be living to please him. Do you think the enemy knows the areas of your life that you're not really living to please God in? Do you think he might just exploit them? Do you think he might take advantage of all those areas? You know, the only safe place for you to be in this spiritual warfare is for you to come to the place where you surrender your will to his will. That's the only safe place for you to be. We need to be willing to do his will, whatever the cost. Jesus in Gethsemane, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What's, what's he saying there? Well, everything in him wants to avoid the cross. We don't like pain, he didn't like pain, and we can't even understand the pain that meant. Not just the physical pain, but the uh, the separation from the Father. 
Right? So Jesus is, is saying, Father, <clears throat> if, uh, if it be possible, take this from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, what does that mean? He was willing to go all the way to a cross-type death to do the Father's will. He was willing to, he was willing to go all that way. You see, <clears throat> this is both the starting point and the summit of surrender. Obviously, it's the summit, isn't it? Being willing to die for the will of our Father. Being willing to go to a cross in this case. Being willing, being willing to be a martyr. Being willing to do whatever. But do you know that it's the starting point as well? Because here's the thing. <clears throat> you see, you can't have a partial surrender. Don't we want a partial surrender? You know, don't we want to surrender in some areas? And well, maybe I'll get there in the other areas. Now, I might not be able to surrender everything in the sense that I would do it all, but I can, can be willing to surrender. Uh, but I can't have a partial surrender. I, I can't pick and choose what areas I'm going to surrender, and that's no surrender. Basically, what that's doing is what I'm saying is, okay, Lord, I'll surrender to you in these areas that please me. In other words, I will do your will as long as it doesn't cut across my will, Lord. Which means, I will do my will, Lord. Isn't that what it is? And is that, isn't that often the surrender that we come to? And then we say, you know what, it failed. Now listen, we're not capable of the full surrender we want. That's the work God has to do in us. But we ha- have a responsibility to be willing for it. There has to be that surrender. We, we, we can't have a surrender that says, okay, well, I'll surrender to God in some areas and not in others. won't work. You need to surrender your will to him. If you're going to be used of God, if God's going to fulfill his will through you, he has to be very sure that your surrender is full, that your surrender is a complete surrender. Doing his will means dying to your will. John 12, 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You're called upon to make a choice. Your life or his life. It really, and there, there is no third option. Don't we want a third option? Do you, don't, don't we want a third option? We, we want to do the will of the Father. We want to do some of our will. And we want to kind of have a nice, easy kind of a Christianity, you know, that's bloodless and that, you know, that, 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 that works fine for us. You can't have it. You're either going to have it your way, which ultimately is Satan's way, because that's what you're going to fall into every time, or you're going to yield yourself to him and you're going to let him have it all. You're going to give your life to him completely and say, Lord, it's not my life, it's yours. Or whatever you want, it's yours. Lord, not my will, but thine. Whatever that means. Now, you don't have to look down the line and think, well, what if it means this, and what if it means this, and what if it means You just need to do it and trust that the Lord will help you when you come to it. But it's got to be his will and not yours. And you know what? We love our lives, don't we? We want to hold on to it. We don't want that little grain of wheat to go into the ground and rot and die. We want to hold on to it. But you know what? If you're going to hold on to it, it's never going to be much of a life. It really is never going to be much of a life. 
I think it's fascinating what verse 23 says. Uh, it says, um, <clears throat> now the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know what? The cross didn't look like glory, did it? The cross looked like the opposite of glory, but you know what? When he walked free from the tomb, all of a sudden, the perspective of the cross changed, didn't it? All of a sudden, this was victory. This was, this, this was glory. And the same is true for us, too. You know, we need to be willing to sacrifice our lives and give them over to him. But you know what? When we do that, there's life, not death. But as long as you hold on to it, as long as you hold on to your life, as long as you hold on to your will, you're going to struggle in this area. And you're going to struggle in the area of prayer because you're not going to be able to discern the Lord's will because you're full of your own will. That's the problem for us. Uh, See there, says discerning his specific will. Now we need to come to discerning his specific will. We need to come to the place where we actually can find out what it is that he wants in, in certain areas. And we need to come to him to find that out. Well, obviously, we need to look to the Bible. Do you know, we'll look at that more in a second. But do you realize the Bible is key to it? The Bible is black and white, objective, the living word of God. And if you will let it, it will slice and dice your will. Just let it. Just let it speak. Don't fight with it. Don't wrestle with it. Let it speak. It will slice and dice your will. <clears throat> Second thing you need to do is you need to remove your will from the picture. Look down to the quote there uh, from George Mueller. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in in this state, it is usually but a little way uh, to the knowledge of what his will is. Now, he says nine-tenths of the difficulty is in this area. Listen, you know what? I think he's right. You know, the biggest problem I've had in my life in discerning the Lord's will is my will. My will is very strong. And you know what? Listen, I've got some good ideas. Do you have some good ideas? I I, I get some good ideas. And, you know, I I, kind of take possession of those good ideas. And, you know, I kind of get proud of those good ideas. And and I want them to, 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 to be accomplished. And that's the problem. It's so hard to hear from the Lord when your heart is connected in something. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the times we were looking at buildings, myself and Vincent Ryan, I uh, went up Northern Island, to Northern Ireland. We were looking at a wooden building that had been dismantled and put down. And a man called Mr. Wilson was showing it to us. And I, I've always remembered what he said. We were talking to him about this area uh, of seeking the Lord's will. And he said this, he said, real simply, he said, it's hard to hear from God when you really want something. Now, isn't it? It's hard to hear from God when you really want something. Uh, you know, we need to come to the place where our, our, our will gets out of the picture. Now, how do you do that? You're going to have to ask the Lord to take that away in a certain area. Because your will, getting involved in it, will muddy the picture completely. You see, there's no other way other than for you to be dead to self. You can't live the Christian life and be alive to self. You've got to come to the place where you're dead to self. Where it's not your will, but it's his will. Where you don't want your life, where you want his life. Where you don't want your way, you want his way. We've got it. There's no other way for us to, to hear from him. Now, <clears throat> let me say this to you too. Uh, the peril, there's a peril in confusing your will for his. Right? <clears throat> We're good at that. We are good at confusing his will uh, for ours. We're experts at mixing our glory with his. 
We really are. We're experts at missing the two, mixing the two. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, it's been talking about, I think, uh, I think Pastor Flanders talked about uh, Matthew. Uh, in Matthew, when um, Jesus says, listen, I, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no way. That's not going to happen. No, let's give Peter his due here, right? Uh, if your friend came to you and said that they were going to be beaten up, unjustly tried, uh, hanged on a cross and murdered, what would you say? If you were any kind of a friend, you'd say, listen, I'll do everything I can to stop that. That's exactly what Peter's saying. He's saying, I will do everything I can. Peter has a noble thought in this. I think he's genuine. I think Peter's genuine. I think there may have been something of a, listen, you don't know who I am. I will take care of you in this. I think there may have been that kind of pride in the situation. There there often is for us, isn't there? Uh, but, But what Peter is doing is he's looking out for his Lord. He's looking out for his friend. He's going to protect him. Right? Now, there is this in it too. Peter's going to reign with Jesus. He's going to have a throne too. And you know what? Jesus dying doesn't play a part in this, in this picture. So, you know, he's involved in it. His will is involved in it as well. So Peter comes to Jesus and with his best intentions, with his willingness to sacrifice for his Lord, he comes and he says, never, no way. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Satan took and used Peter's will to his advantage. He exploited the situation. I mean, it's a minefield. He exploited the situation. He stepped in and he took uh, Peter's will. Do you think Satan would do that in your life? I think he would gladly. I think he would gladly take your best intentions laced with a good measure of your own will and a sprinkling of your glory, I think he would take it gladly and use it to derail the work of God. I think if we were to look at Jesse Penn Lewis's book, that's what we find. We find Satan taking and using men, good men, to derail the work that God is doing. We need to be careful in this area. We need to be so careful, you know, <clears throat> listen, we need to understand that we need his will, not our will. And, and his will doesn't always look the best to us. His will doesn't always look like success to us. We need to be careful. Let me say this. Um, you may pastor a small church. And you may be in the place where you think, you know what, <clears throat> God's got to do something and make this church bigger or, or else I'm out of here. Now, if that's the Lord's will for you to leave, that's fine. But you know what? It could be the Lord's will for you to pastor a small church. It could be the Lord's will for you to be his lighthouse in an area and wait on him and trust him to do some things. You can't just do it because you know what? On the success ratings of of the pastor's fellowship, you look like a loser. You can't walk away. I think too many pastors walk away. I think too many pastors walk away and walk into the wilderness because of that, to be honest with you. You know, think for a moment about Jeremiah. I mean, uh, if Jeremiah was a missionary, the churches would have dropped him, wouldn't they? Because he never had any success. Now listen, was Jeremiah doing exactly what God wanted him to do? Yeah. 
He, was Jeremiah struggling? Yeah. But Jeremiah was seeking to do the Father's will. You need to do the Father's will, whatever that takes. And we need, to, we need to get the idea of success in the world's terms out of our minds. That doesn't mean that we don't expect God to do things. Don't get that one. Don't, we don't settle for nothing happening. But, but we do understand that, you know, listen, I do my Father's will. It's not about my success. It's not about how good I look. It's not about people commending me and thinking I'm great. I just do my Father's will. And you know what? It doesn't matter how big your church is. That's all you'll ever do is your Father's will. You know, there's not a reward in heaven for the largest church going. There's a reward for good and faithful servants. And you know what? So big or small is not the issue. The issue is, I'm doing his will. If you're in the place where you've got God's will, don't move from it. Don't let the enemy move you from it. Expect God to do things, but don't, 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 don't let success or the world's idea of success move you. Then number two, the word of God and prayer. Because the word of God is key to us in finding the will of God. John 15 verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Right? Now look what it says there. God's listening to our voice depends upon our listening to his voice. Very simple, isn't it? It's very true, though. God's listening to our voice depends upon our listening to his voice. We're not very good at listening to God's voice. I think that's one of the things we're seeing this week, isn't it? We're not very good at actually waiting to hear from God and listen to his voice. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons. Let me give you some of them. Some of the reasons are because we're lazy. It's easier to click on a button than it is to wait on God for God to speak to you. It's easier for you to take somebody else's book. It's easier for you to take somebody else's message. It's easier for you to uh, just, just do something that's, that doesn't take too much effort and too much labor. Because you know what? <clears throat> Hearing God's voice means you've got to wait. You've got to wait on God. And waiting on God is not you having a snooze on the couch. Waiting on God means you're there waiting on God. Lord, I need you to speak to me on this thing. And, and we're not good. The other thing is we're busy, aren't we? Now, I don't know what we're busy doing. Honestly, I don't, but we're busy. We're busier than any generation that ever gone before us. 50 years ago, right? And I, I'm not 100 years old or anything, but 50 years ago, I remember sitting in my grandparents' house when the neighbors would all come uh, after tea in the evening, after 6 o'clock in the evening, and they would sit and they would chat for a couple of hours, and then everybody would go home to bed. Right? And um, they, they lived basically a little self-sufficiency farm that, you know, that, that, that was their life. Now, then we remember computers came in, right? And computers coming in meant we were going to be working three days a week and we were all going to be spending the rest of the week in the Caribbean. Remember? Remember those days when they were telling us that you know, computers were going to change everything and we were going to have so much free time for, our, for ourselves and so on? They lied. <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, they've taken over our lives and they've soaked up our time and we're caught up with... Well, we've always got media going on now. You can't get away from it. He just can't get away. We had a guy in our church, and on, until just recently, he had avoided getting a cell phone. But you know what? His daughter-in-law bought him one and said to him, listen, Dad, you're going to keep this cell phone. He was stuck. Everybody, nobody could contact the guy. So we're stuck. We're, we're stuck with all this technology. We're stuck with all this entertainment. We've we got so much stuff going on that we're busy. And if we were to actually sit down and work out how productive we're being, that's a whole different deal. But we're busy. You know what? We've got to put aside some of the busy. 
The stuff we're talking about this week won't happen with the schedule you have now. It's not going to happen. If you think you're going to just pack this in to your schedule, it's not. something's going to have to give. Something's going to have to change in your mind and in your practice for you to actually spend the time seeking God and to spend the time in prayer. We, you know, we, we, we just can't do all the things that the world demands of us. It's impossible. You know, I do think this about my own life, you know. I think in my 40s I wanted to build things and make things happen and, and there's still an element of that in me. But you know what? I think there's a better way to see things happen than actually going out there and building and making things happen. I think the things you can build and make happen are small things. But I think the things you can accomplish through what we're talking about this week are big things. I think they are major things. But it won't happen if you don't make changes in your schedule. It won't happen if you don't decide, listen, this is important, we need to happen. We need these things. You're not going to hear from God. If you're constantly churned up with all this information that's coming at you, you, you can't. There has to be time when you're quiet, when it's you and God. And listen, and it can't be in 10 minutes before you go out to work in the morning. Listen, God's not hard to be fine, to find, right? He says if we draw an eye to him, then he will draw an eye to us. But you know what you'll find in your life? He doesn't do it like that, and he doesn't do it when you call. Because he's God. And you're going to come to him and you're going to say, Lord, I need to know your will uh, in this area. And he's going to say, yeah, but you, this area here we need to talk about. Let's work on this area first. But Lord, this is the one I want to talk about. He said, yeah, but I don't. I want to talk about this area. <laughs> and then when he's done talking about that area, he's going to talk about another area. See, when he gets your attention, it's kind of hard to get your attention. And when he gets your attention, he's going to go after all the things that are, that are of a concern to him. It takes time. We can't be as busy as we are and hear from God. Uh, Let me give you another one. We don't hear from God because we're convinced we know already. Do you ever do that? Uh, Get convinced you know something already? Let let me test it with you here, right? Uh, Turn to John 16, verse 13. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And ask you to put your hands up on this. How many of you, for some period of your life, believed that that meant it was wrong to talk about the Holy Spirit and that he didn't talk about himself? No, put your hand up. There was a point in your life, I believed that. Now, I have no idea where I got that idea from. I can't remember somebody teaching me, but somebody along the the way taught me. So that when it came to the Holy Spirit, I was convinced I knew already. And I wasn't open to what he was saying to me. You know what? I think we do that in a lot of areas. I think that what happens to us is, I, I, I think what our brother said yesterday about, uh, about us not fellowshipping with God, we fellowship with each other about God. I think that's, there's, a, there's a thought there that's really important to us. Right? Because it's so easy for us to kind of have a collective understanding about what God is saying and doing 
without actually getting it from God. I think we can do it. You know what? I think that's what the Pharisees did. I don't think the Pharisees were all bad. I don't think the Pharisees set out to be the bad guys. I think most of them set out to be good guys and thought they were good guys. But you know what? They had agreed amongst themselves that Jesus was not God, so they crucified him. Because they had... We need to be careful that we don't take things just because the crowd is going with it. Listen, it's great for you to come and hear the preaching this week. But you know, you can't take verbatim the preaching and just run with it. You need to see if it's what God is saying. And you can't take home your book and preach through your book everybody else's thoughts and everybody else, what God has done in everybody else's heart. God needs to be doing it in your heart. It needs to be real. You need to be hearing from him. There can't be a collective agreement on what God is saying. You've got to get it fresh oil. And you've got to, pastors, you've got to get fresh oil every week. Listen, all of us need fresh oil. We need to hear from God. We need to spend time hearing. And, and it's easy for us to be in the place where we're convinced we already know what God is saying. Be careful of that one. Because somebody else somewhere told you or you heard something. I remember <clears throat> the, the, uh, going in deputation. And I remember going to a church. And uh, <clears throat> I had just been set alight with, <clears throat> with Luke 11. Right? That if we prayed... God would send his spirit, and great things were going to happen in Ireland. And I had a pastor, a well-intentioned pastor, take me to one side and say to me, now listen, Brother Dave, I understand what you're doing, and I understand your heart, but that's not the way it works. I've tried it, and it didn't work. Now, I wish I could say it didn't affect me. I just kind of shrugged it off. It affected me. What happens is we get affected by the things we hear and the things people say. You need to get it from the Lord. You don't, listen, The Spirit of God wants to use the Word of God in your life. You have the author inside. You need to get with Him. You need to hear what God is saying. Another reason we can't hear from God is we're too full of what we want. We're too full of what we want. I I, I suppose every every church has them. I I have one guy that phoned me. He is genuinely schizophrenic. He is saved. Uh, He got saved on the doors years ago. Uh, He is going to heaven. He writes wonderful prayers that are laced with salvation, but he is mad as a hatter, bless his heart, right? Now, George George will phone me up, and um, he will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. George, George. And boom, he's gone. <laughs> Listen, it's a one-way conversation. I could actually take the phone uh, when George phones it and put it down. And, you know, he wouldn't notice I wasn't listening because I'm not part of the conversation, right? I think sometimes we do that with God, don't we? God, I got this problem and I got this burden and I got this need. And, and oh, Lord, I need you to do this. And oh, Lord, would you do this? And oh, look at this issue. You know what you need to listen hear from God? You need to spend time, Lord. You got something you want to say to me? You got something you want to change in what I'm asking of you? It, it's not a one way conversation. We need to hear from God. Lord, would you show? And you know what? Again, it takes time. It takes time. You, you, you can't just demand of God and have God come to your party. That, that, that's not what God does. He will draw nigh to you because He says He will, but you know what? It's not your party, it's His party you go to. And he wants, to, he wants you to hear from him, and you need to hear from him. And the best days in your life are the days that you've heard from him. He'd like it much more. He would like you to spend... We can't be so full of our own needs and our own wants uh, that we, it becomes a one-way conversation. 
I thought, look at A there. <clears throat> we need to accept the word as truth. And you say, Pastor O'Gallen, we're, we're at the Victory Conference. What do you mean we need to accept it? Of course we accept it as truth. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions about it, right? <clears throat> Listen, if the word of God is truth, are you doing it? And if you're not doing it, do you really believe it's truth? Now think about it. You know, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, you know, Dave, well, we got to, <clears throat> you've got this problem and we, we, we've got to help you with it, so we're going to do this. And um, <clears throat> I say, well, I'm not doing that. It's because I don't believe the doctor, isn't it? Now, for whatever reason, I don't believe the doctor is right on it, and that might be legitimate, but, but, but I don't do what he tells me because I don't, I, I don't believe him. If I believe he's right, I'm going to take his, take his advice, take his counsel, and do what he tells me to do. Right? When it comes to the word of God, if I believe it's truth, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to say, okay, Lord, yeah, all right, that, that's it. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to do your word. And, and I'm going to live that way. I'm going to live doing his word. So, so you may come to the victory conference, but you know what? You may not believe it, really believe it's truth. I think there, 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 there are three, three, three areas, or three ways that we actually approach the truth of the scripture. First area is somebody comes to them and says, well, I don't believe all of it. Now, if you don't believe all of it, you don't believe any of it, because what parts of it do you believe? You don't know, right? Uh, and um, the second part is, I believe it, but I'm not doing it. And I, I believe it, but I can't do it in this area. I believe it, but it's not true for me in this area. By the way, morality is one of those issues in our society today. You know, <clears throat> Scripture is very clear about morality. It's very clear about morality. You know, God says that inside, inside marriage, uh, a physical relationship is right and honorable and proper, and outside of it, he's going to judge it. It's as simple and straightforward as that. You can't, you can't, you, there's, there's no way uh, for you to make anything else in it. And yet, we live in a society where Christians say, yeah, well, you know what, uh, we're just living together, and, you know, we're okay with God, God's okay with it. No, he's not. He said he's not. And here's, the, here's what's happening for us as the church. We're getting sucked in because what do you do with all these people who are living together? Well, you just accept it, don't you? Because what else can you do with it? That's just the way life is. No, it's wrong. It's going to get you in a pile of trouble. But it's wrong. You can't accept it. You can't afford to say it's it's okay because God doesn't say you can't you can't condone that which God says is worthy of judgment. So what you got? And that doesn't the, the culture has gone west completely. But you've got to say no. Does that mean some people won't come to your church? Probably does in this day and age. But you've got to speak truth. You see, if you don't speak truth, if you're letting the culture dilute truth, you're not really believing the truth. Culture and truth are not right. Culture and scripture are not right. Scripture is right. You need to stand on it. You see, and then, then, then there's the third place where, I, listen, it's the word of God, I believe it. Lord, help me. I'm going to obey everything in it. Everything you show me, Lord, I'm going to obey it. Lord, help me. That's the only position where we really believe the word of God. That's the only position that makes sense. You accept it as truth. Um, then you need to read, be there with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is... Let me say this to you as a pastor, right? This is, this is kind of a concern to me, right? <clears throat> I want my people to read the Bible with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that be a concern to me? Because I'm afraid of what they'll get out of it. Right? <clears throat> now, here's, here's what I've come to understand. I'm afraid of what they'll get from YouTube. 
I am afraid of what they'll get from Facebook. But you know what? When the Spirit of God helps them with the Word of God, I don't need to be afraid of that at all. I need to cut them loose on that and say, listen, go for it. Let the Spirit of God lead you in it. And you know what? Uh, if they come and talk to me and they have, they, 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 they have an area where, where we disagree, you know, we'll, we'll get over that. Because the Spirit of God will lead them into truth. That's his job. Uh, Andrew Murray quotes George Mueller. George Mueller, uh, let me just read it. God then began to show me that the Word of God alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things that it can be explained only by the Holy Spirit, and that in our day, as well as in former times, he is the teacher of his people. The office of the Holy Spirit I had not experimentally understood before that time. Do you understand that? He didn't actually come to understand the office of the Holy Spirit until he came to the place where he was letting the Spirit of God lead him in the Word of God, teach him in the Word of God. It was my beginning to understand this latter point in particular, which had a great effect on me, for the Lord enabled me to put it, into the, to, put it to the test of experience by laying aside commentaries and almost every other book and simply reading the Word of God and studying it. The result of this was that the first evening that I shut myself into my room to give myself to prayer and meditation over the Scriptures, I learned more in a few hours than I had done during a period of several months previously. What was he, what's he talking about? He let the Spirit of God lead him in the Word. That's his job. If we'll let him, that's his job. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not for private interpretation. He's the author. He will interpret it to you. Let's say I wrote you a letter, right? I wrote you a letter, and you, know, and, and you don't understand the letter I've written to you. Maybe there's some word that we use in Ireland that you don't use here. And so here's what you do with the letter. You take it to the university, and you ask the, the, the head of the English department at the university, uh, what do you think David O'Gorman meant when he wrote this in the letter? Well, you know what? It's totally up for grabs, what he's going to make of it. But you know what would be a much better idea in this age of telecommunication? You could email me, or you could phone me and say, what did you mean when you said, and I would explain it for you in two minutes, accurately, because I wrote it. Now, when it comes to understanding the Word of God, listen, our commentaries can be a hindrance to us. We need to let the Spirit of God speak. And again, it's easier to click the button and see what the other guy thought it meant than to say, Lord, what did you mean when you wrote this? Lord, help me to understand this. And that this, the Spirit of God is honored when we put him in that place of being our teacher. Lord, help me. Show me. I'll use, I, 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 I'll use commentaries, but the commentaries, I'll just use them sometimes to check that, I'm not, that, I, that I haven't thought of something wacky all by myself. You know? <laughs> uh, but but you know, you, we need to get it from God. We don't let God speak to us. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. First John 2, 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Listen, we have the Spirit of God within us and to, to teach us and to help us. Listen, weeks like this are great. I get blessed by weeks like this. But you know what? I'll go home, and I'll look at the Scripture. And I'll check the scripture. And you know what? The truth that the Spirit has given somebody else, he will amplify in my life. Because that's what he does. You know, listen, uh, it's truth. We need need to understand. It's, It's easier to click on the button, but we need to go to the author. 
We need to let him speak to us. So we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. Um, And we need to act upon it. You know, if you really believe it, you'll do it. Don't fight with it. You know, something dreadful happens when we look at the Word of God and the Word of God shows us something and the Spirit of God says, that's what you need to do in that area. And we look at it and we say, yeah, but you know what? If I do that, it's going to cause this and it's going to cause that and oh, there's going to be all kinds of trouble. I think, I, I, I'll just hold off. What are you holding off for? We had a lady in our church, Rosie. Rose, Rosie was German, right? And um, <clears throat> Rosie, was, Rosie was a believer. She was, she, was, she, she was a lovely believer, right? But Rosie had this habit, right? If she wanted to know... If she wanted counsel from you, Rosie would come and she would come to you, Pastor Van, and she would say, now, what do you think about this? And she'd show you the portion of scripture. Right? If she didn't like what she, she would say, she would go to your wife. And she would ask. And then she would go to Val and she would go to several people. And finally, when she found somebody that, she, that said what she wanted them to say, then she would go with that. And she would say that was the counsel that she had received on it. Now, <clears throat> you know, listen, we can do that too. Listen, you don't need to, you don't need to mull over it. Until the word of God is diluted. You need to do it. We're talking about living his will so we can know his will. If you won't do what God has revealed to you in his will for you to do, how in goodness name do you expect him to reveal his will and the specifics to you? It's impossible. Um, James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Uh, Andrew Murray there at the bottom of the page, again quoting George Mueller, it, it had pleased God in his abundant mercy to bring my mind into such a state that I was willing to carry out into my life whatever I should find in scriptures. I could say, I will do his will, and it was on that account, I believe, that I saw which doctrine is of God, and I would observe here, by the way, that the passage to which I have just alluded, John seven seventeen, we read it, has been a most remarkable comment to me on many doctrines and precepts of our most holy faith. What was he doing there? What he was doing was, he was saying, Lord, I will do your will, whatever you show me to do, and he was doing it. And um, God was revealing his will and his word to him. Now, let me cover this next section and do it briefly because Brother Jim has done a, a far better job of, uh, of covering it. But let me say that all of that leads us to this place where if we can walk in the will of God and know the will of God and live the will of God, he wants us involved in the war. God doesn't want anybody here sitting in the background and letting the warfare pass over their heads. The whole purpose of getting us to the place uh, where we can walk in his will uh, is we've got to be in the place where we can hear his will so we can actually fight his fight. The problem with our world is not the world being wicked. It's always been wicked. It's not the culture. The culture has always been the way it has in one form or another. It's not your politics. It's not our politics. That's not the problem with the world. The problem with the world is the enemy of our souls. And the problem with the world is that the enemy of our souls is taking ground when he's supposed to be getting pushed back. He's not the victor. The Lord is. He didn't win anything. He lost. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a pretender prince, S.D. Gordon calls him. 
He's pretending that he's the winner. And you know what? We're buying into it. And we're retreating instead of pushing forward. You know, we've had some great, great truth come across our way this, this week, right? And the thought that, listen, the end is near, so what can we do? Let's just hang in there faithful till the end comes. How do you know the end is coming? You don't. It is coming, but the Lord didn't tell you when. You know, the disciples were waiting for it 2,000 years ago. It still hasn't come. Listen, I don't know how it could, but you know what? 2,000 years from now, there might still be believers on this planet. You know, listen, we've got to live like we're supposed to take ground. We're not supposed to rest. The enemy would like us to rest. We're supposed to take ground. Um, Praying God's will is going to bring me into the war. Look what S.D. Gordon says there. The earth is in a state of war. It is being heartily besieged, and so one must use war talk to grasp the facts of which prayer is concerned. Prayer from God's side is communication between himself and his allies in the enemy country. That's a great thought. God is communicating with his allies in the enemy country. God has an agenda. Do do, do you understand that? His agenda, we said the other night, was not so that when you got saved, you would have a nice, happy, easy time, and then you could go to glory. If that's what he'd wanted for you, he would have taken you to glory then. Um, He doesn't want that for you. God has an agenda. He has a war to fight. He has an enemy to push back. He has a ground he wants to take from this enemy and he's given you and I everything we need to do it with. And he's shown the enemy that he, that he can't win. But the enemy's not giving in. He's not going quietly. He's not decided, well, you know what? <clears throat> Those Christians, they're such powerful people. I think I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just give up and leave. He hasn't. He's fighting tooth and nailed. Do you know what the end of it all is for him? Hell. The worst part of hell. You know what? He's going to keep the thing going for as long as he possibly can. I don't know. I think he might even be deceived enough to think that maybe, just maybe, somehow he can turn the tides and he can win. And he's fighting for his life. Literally. And he knows it. And so what happens for us is God has called us to war. God has called us to go against him. God has called us to exercise his will on this earth against the enemy. Now, you can't do that by exercising the enemy's will. You can't. That's impossible. You can't have a half-baked thing between God's will and the enemy's will. You can't. The enemy's going to use every area in your life against you that you give him to use. He's going to take, he's going to take every piece of ground that he possibly can. You know, holiness of life is as much about this as anything else. I don't want to give the enemy anything he can use in my life. I don't want to give him any ground in my life. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to be in the place where the enemy can take and use something against me. So even if I could do it, I'm not going to do it if it gives him an advantage because this is a war. And I don't want him having anything against me. Ephesians 6.10, we've been through it several times this week, but you should read it for yourself. Um, Look to the end of the passage there, though. Verse 
just to the end of the passage there where it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you realize what Paul does there as far as prayer is concerned? He says, listen, I need you involved in the attack I am making with the gospel. I need you praying with all prayer and perseverance and supplication in the saint, for the saints uh, and for me. Do you realize that what needs to happen for us, we need to understand that there's a battle going on. You don't have to visit the battlefield in terms of physically being there. Because the battlefield is in the heavenlies. And you know what Paul is saying to us? He said, listen, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to war and I need you to pray for me. Now, if we had uh, a dozen young men from this church uh, going out to battle, <clears throat> you know, uh, being sent off to Afghanistan, Iraq to fight against ISIS or whatever, what, what would happen is this. We would say, okay, this is serious. We would pray seriously for them. Some of you that knew them closely would pray for them regularly. You, 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 would be, you would be listening for, for, <clears throat> for word from the front and you, you, you would want to know what's going on and you, you would, it would be a matter of grave importance to you. There is a battle going on. There is a battle going on <clears throat> for the souls of men. And Paul says we need to be praying. We need to be seeking the Lord about that. We need to be backing up the people that are going out and, <clears throat> and crying out to God for them and backing them up in prayer. That's part of this warfare. In fact, it's a huge part of this warfare. Yeah, you need to wear the army armor. But you know what? We need to be praying. And you know, if we're losing ground, it's not because the armor is not sufficient. It's not. The armor, the armor. Listen, God didn't give uh, bad armor to us. If we're losing ground, it's because we're not praying. We're not taking the ground from the enemy. We're not willing, winning the battle in the heavenlies. You know, just as I close, three, three types of prayer. Communion, uh, where we enjoy the presence of God. Wonderful, sweet. You ought to enjoy that. That's such a sweet blessing. You ought to enjoy that communion. Then there's petition, uh, where you ask God for things. And listen, you ought to enjoy that too. God, God wants to give you things. That's, that, that's rich and sweet. Both of those affect us. But then there's intercession. An intercession is where we become allies to God in his great warfare. And that's what we're called for, called to. We're called to be allies with God in his great warfare. We're called to stand with him against the enemy and see the enemy push back and see the ground taken and see the gospel go forth. And you know what? You and I will never be more powerful than we are when we're in touch with him and pushing the enemy back. We will never do anything more powerful than that. And we need to understand that. The enemy knows that. He'd sooner you and I do anything but that. He, 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 he doesn't mind what we do. As long as he can keep us off that. Let me read you S.D. Gordon again. Now prayer is this. A man, one of the original trustee class, who received the earth and trust from God... And who gave control, over, gave control over to Satan, a man on the earth, the poor old, Satan-stolen, sin-slimed, sin-cursed, contested earth, a man on the earth with his life in full touch with the victor and sheer out of touch with the pretender prince. That's key to you. 
You've got to be in full touch with the victor. You've got to be walking with Jesus and you've got to be completely out of touch with the enemy. Don't give him an inch in your life. Insisting, declaiming that Satan shall yield before Jesus' victory. Step by step, life after life, Jesus is the victor. Satan knows it and fears him. He must yield before his advance and he must yield before this man who stands for Jesus down on the earth. And he will yield reluctantly, angrily, as slowly as may be, stubbornly contesting every inch of ground. His clutches will loosen and he will go before this Jesus man. That's truth. That's powerful truth. We're the winners. We are the winners in this thing. Let's start acting like it. Let's wear our armor. Let's get the Lord's mind in prayer. And let's go forward and push him back. Because it can still happen. Even in this day. The need of our day is for believers who can pray like this. Those who can rise above building our kingdoms on earth. Not to build... Not to build his kingdom, that's his worth, but in close contact with him to do his will and see the enemy flee before us. That would be revival and it's the only answer to the needs of our day. The only answer. But you know what? It's there for us. It's not something we have to achieve in that sense. It's something we just have to take possession of. Because he's given us the victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your people. And thank you for this group of people that have come out to this conference. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, we ask you, Lord, to undertake for us. Lord, take truth. Make it real in our hearts, Lord. And, oh, Lord, may we live in the power of your victory. And, Lord, may we live to see a day when weak and feeble as we are, Lord, we see him pushed back and we see the lamb taking the ground. And, Lord, may we see a great day of revival in Jesus' name.